0: Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu.
1: Thank you for joining us. So it's my privilege to uh, bring up our panelists for the African American uh, history, Black History Month uh, discussion. So if you guys would come on up, the three of you, I appreciate that very much. Uh, first, I'll introduce C.O. Preston. Y'all all three come on up and, and just take a seat here. Uh, C.O. Preston, I've invited Dr. Preston. He's a, he is a professor, he teaches, he's also the pastor of Beth Eden Baptist Church here in Dallas, and uh, you guys can have a seat. Um, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for him. He also serves as a trustee on our board. You can sit down, brother. You, yeah, you, don't, you don't have to stand on my behalf. Uh, I, I'll sit down eventually. They're afraid I'll keep talking if I stand up, but I'll sit down in a second. Um, Dr. Preston also serves as a trustee on our board and part of the reason I wanted him to participate in the discussion today uh, is because he's been willing to speak in our board meetings uh, truths that we needed to hear uh, at times when he was the only voice in the room saying those things uh, that needed to be said and we're really grateful for that grateful for your patience with us as uh, we've been able to be blessed by you on our board for several years now. Uh, Next to him, Dr. Leroy Fountain, I invited. He's an evangelist now. He served in denominational leadership in Baptist life for ages and has done ministry of every kind in the church and he's just a fantastic leader and not just not just in one community or the other but throughout Baptist life and he's been he's been fantastic and he's been very kind and patient and a peacemaker in different meetings that I've been able to be in and hear discussions going on about some of the things we want to talk about today and so I'm really uh, grateful for you Dr. Fountain and for the truths I know you'll share with us today Dr. Nancy Turner on the end uh, is a professor has taught for us here at Criswell College as well. Uh, She has also been in a couple of venues where we've been having discussions about things. uh, And I don't even know if you'll remember this particular discussion down in Horner Hall, but uh, contributed truths that needed to be heard in a patient way, but still a direct way that uh, needed to be said. uh, And that did have an impact uh, on the people who heard it. And so we're really grateful for that. Also, uh, just put out a book, by the way, about the lynching in 1920 of Claude Chandler, which I would encourage you to get. Find the book uh, and uh, read it. It's it's compelling and powerful. It's called A Reason to Hate. You'll see it's uh a it's not a book engendering hate. It is a, uh, it's a book you ought to consider, though, and the fact that it uh, involves a lynching 100 years ago is something that we I hope we'll get to during the discussion today, uh, by the way. So what I want to start with uh, is very simple, and I'm just going to ask you all to uh, give you know, whatever kind of answer you want to to this, and you can reshape the question so it fits better uh, what you think would, would fit what you want to say, but the starting point is just to ask uh, your testimony. You know, in, in, in how did you become a believer? What's, what's your background in coming to faith in Christ, coming to know Him, so that you answered the question of the song, uh, which we were blessed by, uh, honestly, you know, I know Him myself, I know Him for myself. How did you come to know that? And I think importantly for us today, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're, and hi, historically, Criswell College has been uh, a significantly white school, so y'all may not know that, but I thought I'd share it with you, just in case you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there is there uh, any way that your answer you believe or your experience in coming to faith or your answer today is different because you are a black man or a black woman as you answer the question? Is it different? And you can say it's not. I'm just curious if in your way of answering the question you would say it is or isn't. So, uh, your testimony, and then and we'll just go in order this way the first, first shot. Dr. Preston, if you want to start for us it, it, just share your testimony god
2: bless on. you dr cream i usually start with the latest first but <laughs> since you, you you place me first i will i will go ahead uh, i came to faith as i was preaching uh, on sunday also i want to say dr cream i also have a book i have two books also tell us about we'll, them. yeah we'll please um, do. we'll share that in, in a few minutes i'm going to answer your question okay. uh, first um I was sharing with the uh, congregation just this past Sunday that I came to faith through my parents. Uh, I was raised in the church, raised in the black Baptist church specifically, but I attended other churches also, but uh, Church of God in Christ, uh, Methodist, but I was raised by my parents, and it was not an option Uh, young people. It was not an option. Uh, It was, you're going to church, you're going to Sunday school, and on Sunday it was an all-day event for me. It wasn't like you, you come at 11 and out at 12 noon You go for Sunday school, I would be there at 9.30, well before 9.30 for Sunday school, then 11 o'clock worship. Then there may be a three o'clock service and then six o'clock was Bible training union. And then there was night worship. So Sunday was an all day event. I'm grateful that my parents instilled that in me and in my siblings. Uh, to come to know God, to come to know Christ for yourself. So as I, as I grew and learned and about Sunday School Bible Training Union, and that's the reason even today, Dr. Creamer, that if you ask me, I could quote all of the Old and New Testament books, not because I have a PhD, but because I went to Bible Training Union. <laughs> and Sunday school. So that's how I came to faith. I was raised in the church. And, and transitioning, I wanted a, an education uh, as a minister because I began preaching when I was very young. I know I look, I look kind of aged, but <laughs> I started. It's 40 years, it's 40 years in ministry for me, but I started preaching as a, as a teenager. So when I, when I, after going off to college, I wanted to, uh, after being under Dr. John D. Mangrum, one of my greatest professors at Jarvis Christian College, now Christian University, uh, there I wanted to receive a master's. So I, I did try SMU, I have to admit, I tried SMU, <laughs> Dr. Krim. I, I, took, uh, I took some classes at Perkins uh, for, for about a semester or two, but I wanted a more conservative degree I, I wanted I wanted a, a degree that a, and information that was that was not as liberal as as SMU Perkins so uh, I came here uh, to Chriswell and and yes there is a difference uh, in the cultural aspect of the Black Baptist Church and the the well, the white Baptist church. I, <laughs> I don't really care for those terms too much, but there is a cultural difference, an absolute cultural difference. And so that's, that's what I had to learn how to work on, bringing what I had from Criswell, from Liberty, from uh, Midwestern and marrying that with what I could give to, to the people where I served in, in the churches where I've served as pastor and minister so that I could bridge that because uh, some of what I've gotten here is, is not, is just I, I, have to, I have to table that and make that an, a, a preparation for, for the church where I serve. Yeah. But that's how I came to faith. Uh, right. My parents raised me in the church.
1: Well, thank you very much, brother. Hey, Dr. Dr. Fallon?
3: Thank you. thank you for the opportunity to be here and it's a great opportunity for me to... Oh, thank you. He has a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> now I know how to do mics. <laughs> uh, I came to faith in Christ in a small rural community in Delhi, High, Louisiana the Palestine Baptist Church. My mother sang in the choir, my daddy was a deacon and a treasurer, and I was at church all the time as well. You too! I <laughs> and it was at age 15 that I surrendered to Christ as my Lord and Savior. I looked for a dramatic, salvation experience because it was the talk of our community of how somebody got saved by some dramatic way, a Pauline type experience. And I wanted that, I sought that. And um, it was one night at a revival meeting at the Seven Star Baptist Church, where Reverend Aaron Griffin was preaching. It was August of 1965. And he explained to me the plan of salvation, and I trusted Jesus that night. The second part of that question asked, being a black man, how does that impact or did that impact your salvation experience? Well, yes and no, because I grew up in a segregated America and everything impacts my life according to race. I'm old enough to remember colored water fountains. I'm old enough to remember going to the back of the restaurant to get a hamburger. I remember riding on the back of the bus. I, I remember these things and it shaped my life. Not my salvation, but it shaped my life. It shaped my church. I went to a black church. I didn't go to a multiracial church, or as some folks say, a multicultural church. I don't want to go to one of those anyway, because it sounds like it's schizophrenic. But <laughs> I, I went to a black church. My pastor was black. The choir members were black. It, and it shaped my growth in the 60s. And so that's my salvation experience. And that's how Race in America has shaped me. All right.
1: Thank you, brother, Pre- appreciate that very much. And Dr. Turner, do you mind?
4: Wow. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Dr. Creamer, for the invite, and I'm happy to join these thank two you men me. of God as well. I grew up in a real small town in Oklahoma, Guthrie, Oklahoma. Um, I would say I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but God had put into my spirit as a little person to love church. And my pastor preached in such a way, almost fire and brimstone, that I was convinced I did not want to go to hell. And so at about the age of eight or nine, we had just built a new facility. And I can remember, uh, we didn't have a baptismal pool, but we had, uh, somebody told me that it was like a trough where cattle come up and, and I guess eat, drink or whatever. But I remember being baptized. Now, unfortunately, I was not discipled. And so I spent probably the next 15 years of my life wondering if I really was going to go to heaven or not. I felt like I had messed up so bad in my life that there was no way God was going to let me into heaven. But I do remember one day, and I love reading the Bible, uh, but I remember one day I read 1 John 1 and 9, and this was the liberating verse for me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it was that day, I wish I could remember the day, the month, the hour, but I don't. But I do know that once I asked God to forgive me, forgive myself, I was able to pick myself up and move forward. And so the second half of the question that was asked, um, because I grew up in a segregated world, I really didn't think about black, white. You just, I mean, and I won't say you had to know your place, but in a way you did have to know your place. And I don't remember my parents teaching us the rules. Now, I do remember, one thing I do distinctly remember was at the movie theater that blacks had to sit in the balcony. And we didn't question it. We just knew we had to go up to the balcony and and sit. And so uh, that's uh, one of the things that I do remember. Somewhat race, but I just really wasn't affected. I was in a bubble of sorts. And so race, as far as my uh, coming to faith in Christ... Race didn't shape that, but as my dear brother here has said, I grew up in a black church, that is my experience. Now I know how to worship with other people, but uh, what is in me is in me, I'm a black woman, and I'm happy and excited that God created me to be a black woman that is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ.
1: Amen, thank you very much, amen. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna change the order of the questions I was gonna ask. I want to ask a question about churches uh, for a second. So and I and I'll let y'all just uh, jump in on this as you feel led to, and you may just interact with each other about it too. So, uh, Dr. Fountain, I'll I'll capitalize on what you said about growing up in a black church, that you were raised in a black church, that's where you came to faith, uh, and yet you served for. A long time in a white denomination. It's really funny. I mean, people are offended when I say it's a white denomination, but everybody that's not white knows it's a white denomination. So it's, it, it, it's uh, but whatever you, whatever you call it, you served in a, in a different cultural setting for a long time, and I'm grateful for that. I think everybody's grateful for that. My question is, Uh, And it's not just about the denominational service. It's about churches as a whole. And and this is because we have students who are going to lead churches. We have students who are all going to be members of churches. They're going to be leaders within their church, whether they have a formal position or not. And I'd like to know y'all's take on the best way for churches to have some kind of influence on race relations Uh, in our culture in general. And I I know your answer may be different depending on the majority population of the church. I get that, that it might be different in one church than another. But I'm curious what your way would be because I'm I'm looking at my friend Paul Michael Vaca back here. We've met, Dr. Fountain, you've met with him and uh, we've had discussions. We've talked about the fact people do pulpit swaps and all that kind of stuff. And maybe that's helpful, maybe it's not. I'm just, is there anything the church can do or individual churches can do that you think would actually make a difference in race relations. And that's from any of y'all, not just Dr. Fountain. I'm asking any any of the three of you. Any thoughts?
3: You want to go first? You can go first this time. I think, sir,
1: sure.
3: that one of the things we can do
1: Would you hold be- your mic up? You no. Know. I Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah. That's why
3: I have the mic. In. <laughs> I think one of the things that we can do that's more important than anything else, and that's just believe the Bible. Um, If we read the great commandment, and Jesus says in answer to a question, what is the greatest commandment, and he responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and on and on and on. And consequently, love your neighbor like you love yourself. If we could avoid the sociological constructs that we have set up to create an environment where some people are less than others, that you are less than human, um, you, you know, we read the the great compromise: three fifths of the people in the world are you know they they're less than human so we really don't have to respect them anyway they they're made in god's image but they're really not Uh as good as me yeah there There you go go. that's that's what the mormon church said Um, but if we could just believe the bible and teach basic stuff i mean i know we like to go deep and Talk about what when Jesus is coming back and and he is coming back I'm not denying that but you don't know when that's right so if we could just talk basic about the Word of God I think we could I think we would get a lot farther down the road
2: yes sir Uh, well I'm actually teaching uh, a course on the history of the black church right now this semester at uh, Jarvis Christian University uh, my thought is, as Michael Battle in his book, The History of the Black Church, talks about as, as well as Eric Mason uh, being woke. I know we don't want to hear that type of, uh, that type of rhetoric and conversation. But my point to this is the black church exists because we could not attend the white church Uh, when i say that i mean africans uh, could not attend the white church so therefore the black church exists how do we reconcile that bridge that in my in my um understanding this is just this is just impressed in in dealing with the churches i've dealt with the black church is open and welcoming. Anyone is welcome to come to the black church. But the question would be, am I welcome to, come to go to any Southern Baptist church? I know I could, could go there, but would I be welcomed there? So to what, to what, uh, what, what's your name again, brother? Fountain. Dr. Fountain said, which, which I really like what you say, put into practice that text. It's one thing to read the text. It's another, another thing to put into practice that text. One thing to tell me, yes, Jesus said, it's commanded that you love one another uh, and, and it's commanded that you love God and that you love your neighbor. Demonstrate that love. Show that reconciliation and be open to, to demonstrate and exemplify that love for one another. And, and I believe that will make a difference. Yeah. It's it sincere with.
4: Okay, well, since you, I'm not a pastor preacher, I had to take some notes, so I wouldn't go down a rabbit hole. I'm, unlike them, they are they do this week in, week out. Oh, he has notes too, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess I wasn't being smart, I didn't <laughs> <laughs> But um, the best way for churches to make a real difference <clears throat> in race relations in our culture is living out Jesus's command in John 13, 34 through 35. He says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so I believe that if we genuinely love, and it's a Jesus kind of love, okay? It's an agape kind of love, a love that we can't do in and of ourselves. Um, when Pastor was mentioning, He knows that he can attend any Southern Baptist church, but would I be welcome there? My mind went back to when I was a student over at DTS and in our small group, a lady from um, out of the country mentioned that she had gone to a predominantly white church and even as she recounted the story, she was crying and she said that the stares that she got while she was there as if to say, what is she doing here? But let me flip the script we had a, um, a white lady to attend our church and she and I got to know one another quite well. And she told me that one night she came in for Bible study and someone asked the question, what is she doing here? And so we have to be careful. If we're going to put it out, we also have to be willing to put it back in. And so what I say is that um, um, I do believe that love is essential. Yes, ma'am. Um, true, we have our cultural differences. But that's what makes us special in God's sight. God is not; He didn't want us all to be alike, look alike, and so to me, we just see God's beauty expressed uh, in all different nationalities, all different cultures. So, love is the key. Yes, it is.
1: <laughs> so, I'm wrestling with uh, how to how to <laughs> how to ask this question. So, I I, uh, I I'll I'll phrase it this way for you guys, just to be short about it. And this is the this is the one I really want to want to get to. Um, when I went to Preservation Hall in New Orleans, uh, the, per- the performance was amazing. So, you know, just amazing if you've never been there. But it was also a performance for that audience. You know, they, they were cautious in the way they played. And it was, it was but it was wonderful. What I, want, what I wanted to say to them was, yeah, but if, if none of us were here, what would y'all play, you know? And I think, I, I love these answers, I appreciate it. And they're brilliant, they're uh, absolute truth in the gospel but it's not like Matthew was written in 1992, you know. <laughs> Matthew 22 was around in the mid 19th century and during Jim Crow and during the Civil Rights Movement and it's not like preachers weren't saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Reinhold Niebuhr had plenty of opportunity to preach, you know, about integration and for some reason that wasn't the focus, so. and Richard Niebuhr. Mm-hmm. So my question is, uh, you know, what is it that creates the barrier how would you experience the unwelcomeness? You mentioned the stairs, and I appreciate that, Dr. Turner, just the the look. And and I'll throw this wrench in the works to say, I know there are some settings where you would say, well, of course a black person's welcome here, because I know my context. Of course a black person's welcome here. And then the other side of the statement would be, but not if they're a Democrat. You know, and so I, and I and I may be exaggerating. You may say, "No, that's not the problem. No, that's not the issue." So I just I'm curious if you'd be willing to step into the landmine field with me, <laughs> yeah. and, and address any of that, if, if if any of you want to. It's just totally up to you.
2: Oh, okay. I, I want to hear you all.
4: Oh. <laughs> okay, who's on first? Um, Race, we know, harkens back to uh, slavery in America. And uh, as I reflected on the questions that we were going to be asked, I thought about our people, And when I say our people, the uh, African, uh, our African foreparents, they came from a majority culture. And they were thrust into a new culture. Um, they were given labels that really didn't identify who they were. And one of the things that I, uh, speak into my granddaughters' lives as a woman, speaking to my granddaughters, is know who you are. Yes. Because if you don't know who you are, people will define for you who you are. And so I believe that a lot of the stigma that was attached to us as a people, um, we drank the Kool-Aid. And maybe we drank it in order to survive. Uh, we did we, what we had to do in order to survive. And uh, one of the things that I have in my notes here, and I'll just go ahead and say it now, is that um, we didn't have time for mental checkups during slavery. We had to do Mm. what it took to survive. Mm. And when you consider the trauma that our people went through, and it's not, I mean, I know CRT says it's about making little kids feel bad, but that's not what it's about. Because we have to live with our history every day. And I'm okay with, okay, but that happened way back then. I wasn't living back then but what are you doing today? Are you still uh, causing slavery, racism to go forward? And so we have to really do a self-checkup. But we, as a people, we didn't have time for mental checkups. We did what it took to survive. And when you consider the trauma that our people went through, hmm. and, and it's, it's a hard story. It's a hard story even for me to think about, to talk about, to write about. Hmm. But these are some of the things that I mentioned. The trauma, Trauma is defined as a deeply disturbing or distressing experience. Trauma of being sold into slavery and of leaving your homeland. All things familiar to you. The trauma of being transported in an overcrowded ship from Africa to the Americas. says that between 1500 and 1866, 12.5 million enslaved Africans were transported to the Americas. About 1.8 million of them died on the Middle Passage en route. The trauma of separation once the ship docked. The trauma of being cast into a new culture, a new language. The trauma of stripping the enslaved of his or her identity. For example, taking away their birth name. You know, names were of significance in Africa. Your name meant something. But taking that name away and then giving you a name Um, uh, that was insignificant. The trauma of dehumanization, to name a few, the beatings, family separation, taking children from their parents, slave auction blocks, rape, forced breeding. The effects of trauma were passed on from generation to generation and as I said the need to survive was greater than the need to deal with the trauma and so we have multi-generation that has just transcended down from generation to generation to generation that has not been dealt with. And so I know that oftentimes, maybe the majority culture looks at us and say, you know, they need to get over it. But we can't get over it as a people until we deal with it. As a people, and true, we have our own issues within the black culture. We see black on black crime. But until it's dealt with, it will continue to go on.
1: Amen. Thank you, thank you very much. Would you like to contribute anything else? Are you satisfied? (laughs) I I thought it was a brilliant answer. I will say that. I
3: I think if nothing else is said, that should help us to understand. I don't know if you've seen the T-shirt or not, but across the front of it says, I'm tired. And across the back of it it says, I've been black all day just being black in America. Doesn't matter how many degrees you have. Doesn't matter if you've moved to the suburbs. Doesn't matter what kind of luxury car you drive. At some point, somebody's gonna look at you and remind you
1: that you ain't one of us.
2: Ooh, that's, rich. that's rich,
1: Thank you for saying that. Dr. Preston, you want to add anything else? Oh, I can add some things. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> that is so rich from both of you, from both of you. Yeah. Because Dr. Cream, as we sit here, yeah. their experiences are somewhat different from my experiences, even as a black man. I, I share with the congregation when I'm preaching, I didn't go to the back door sure, to I get see. a burger. You know, when I when I grew up, you can go ahead to the Dairy Queen, and after the ball game, you take your quarter and put it in. The, you all don't know what I'm talking about in that payphone. Put that quarter in that payphone and call for somebody to pick you up. So I, did, I The back door is not my experience. What you've experienced that has not been my experience, but it was you all's experience. So now we have. Even while, and I dare to say this, because that's one of the times you were talking about, Dr. Creamer, we're in the Board of Trustees meeting, and one of them says, why don't we just stop talking about this so much? This, this race issue. If we stop talking about it so much, then we can, can help and it'll be better. So there is this desire to eliminate and eradicate the history of people we see it but we should not allow that to be sold we have to be reminded and told of these experiences young people need to hear this they need to know you all's experience and the church needs to hear this and the church both the white church and the black church should work on being loving And reconciling and trying to bridge the gap between race. Here's another issue of it. Politics, you mentioned that. The politics of it all. This is so divided and, and so divisive that I just do not understand it all myself. Even as I seek to continue to write about it and talk about it because we are even divided as a nation. We're not yet united. You have one group, Republican, and we want to do this and this is our agenda. Then the Democrats, this is our agenda. Then you have independents, this is our agenda. When at the end of it, it's about those who, the haves and the have nots. The haves keep having and the have nots getting less. It's economic. It's an economic issue. At the root of all of this is an economic issue. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. It's a heart issue. It's a head issue. It's a traumatic issue. It's also an economic issue. There is suppression at all levels. And until we begin to acknowledge these and, and not act like they did not happen, that's one of the things that bothers me, and I know I'm getting a little expressive right here, but that's one of the things that bothers me with my Southern Baptist brothers and sisters. You want to act like this did not happen. It happened, it's traumatic. We own it. You should own it, own it with us and reconcile with us together.
1: Amen, amen, yeah, I'll, I'll give a hand to that. Can, yes, Can Dr. I just Turner, interject,
4: um, I believe, Politics is a, is a major, but I always say that we can't legislate morality. That's what we can put laws on the books. We couldn't keep 10, so we can put laws on the books. But how about giving people Jesus? I mean, at the end of the day, He's the only one that's going to make the difference. Now, my struggle, as a pastor said, is when somebody says something that you know is not right and you're afraid to step up to the plate. And contradict what they have said because you want to retain your power. Now that is what I have a problem with. Yeah. Oh, that's rich. And so the Bible has reminded us that we will all stand before God and give an account of what we have done with what he has given to us. And so politics is a major, but if we just give him Jesus, he's going to make the difference. We can't legislate morality.
1: You sure can. That's Amen. Rich. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dr. Fountain, I'll let you give the closing word then. That... well we're uh, yeah just just because people want to eat yeah well, that's. I don't know what's wrong I would, with them
3: I would change I would swap words with you I would not use the word suppressive I would use the word oppressive black people have been oppressed in this nation for um, basically as long as we've been here my experiences are not just my experiences even though you might not have had those experiences we all labor under the weight of those experiences yes, yes, absolutely. Um, you mentioned how we carry the burdens of our ancestors and that's a heavy burden to carry uh, just in my years of life i have enough burdens i have a wife i have three daughters i have five brothers uh, oh. <laughs> But then I listened to the story from my mother's father who was born just a few years after the Civil War. And he told stories of how he was treated and I carry with me not only the trials and tribulations of my life, but I carry with me the burdens of his life and as I read, I carry with me also the burdens of generations before him." And that becomes a weight that is unbearable outside of knowing Jesus. <clears throat> what we also talked about was unity, the United States. We think unity is something we can manufacture. That's right. That's rich. We, can't, we can build cars, we can build furniture, but we can't manufacture unity. Right. Outside of a knowledge of Jesus Christ and outside of the work of the church as Christ has outlined it, we will never have unity.
2: That's rich, that's rich.
3: There is also this thing of legislation, um, I'm in favor of legislation.
2: <laughs> yes, sir.
3: Because I know I've experienced enough in my lifetime to know that people are not going to read their Bibles and do what the Bible say.
2: Change so the law. So if
3: legislation will keep you from lynching me, write the law.
2: Right. Oh, brother. Amen. And write it for Thank economics. You. Make it I better. Amen. Make it better. Housing. Jobs, job security, just
1: leveling the playing field, making it right, amen. Amen. All right, well, I just wanna do two things. Number one, I wanna give y'all an opportunity to thank our panelists for their contributions today. Thank y'all very much. And then uh, I just wanna say one, one final word to all the, the Chriswell people who are here. And I'm so thankful for our guests that we're gonna be able to have a lunch with downstairs in just a, a moment. And Kendall, are you gonna need to say anything to them or can we just, that, yeah, go ahead and do that now and then I'm gonna close, okay? Thank you so much. Yes. Uh,
5: let's clap our hands real quick again for this yes. panel. I've been told, so the Oak Cliff Baptist Minister's Union is present here. I, I go to the meetings all the time. And one of the things that I was taught is never to say I won't hold you long. So I, you, you can only imagine how I'm trying not to say I won't hold you long while not trying to hold you long. Anyway, I want to say thank you so much to Dr. Barry Creamer. Sure. Let's clap our hands for him. Yeah, thank you. He wanted to have this panel discussion and he wanted this particular type of event, particularly in chapel, to take place. And i also like to thank uh, Luis Suarez, our VP of Student Affairs. Let's clap our hands for him. (laughs) But I also want to say thank you to Dr. Creamer and also to my uncle, my mentor, Dr. C.O. Preston. I served under him for a really long time and he was one of the people in my life that helped me to see me when I didn't wanna see me. And by see me, I mean see black, eccentric, unique, different, Christian me. Amen, yeah amen. So thank you so much uncle, and I'm so glad to have you here, and to have you sitting next to Dr. Creamer. is very full circle. And that's what my life has been like, where I've had a chance to connect with people that didn't look like me, while at the same time trying to appreciate the me that God made me to be
1: you'll catch it when you walk out
5: anyway (laughs) thank you so much for you all and for dr dr armstrong thank you dr turner
1: thank you you. yeah grab the mic
3: and and let me just echo that thanking dr creamer this is not your everyday white conservative southern baptist president say that
1: (laughs) say that (laughs) So thank, thank you, you sir. Thank, thank you very much. And uh, Dr. Preston, we forgot to talk about your books. Would yes, you mind?
2: yes, sir. Thank you. You can get my books on Amazon. One of the books is uh, on marriage, uh, how to make it last forever. The second book is on the priesthood of all believers, how the church can uplift all its members. Some of what I discussed is recorded, written in my book. Uh, so go to Amazon, get, get, those, get those books. Uh, purchase those you you'll be blessed
1: thank you brother definitely do it so uh, last word for my for my chriswell people i just want to make make sure and uh, make something clear to you Uh, my role up here wasn't to be a gatekeeper i'm sort of embarrassed uh sitting up here and acting as if uh, we needed a white moderator or something like that so i know i know they know that wasn't what i was doing but i'm saying it i'm saying it to all of you who are at chriswell to know why i'm here i am not a gatekeeper in this setting I learned a long time ago, I can't speak on behalf of any black man or any black woman. I haven't had their experiences. I don't know. So I could pretend I could tell you all about diversity and inclusion and how to solve the I, I don't know. I can speak to white people. I can speak to my congregations. I can speak to the churches I'm at. I can do that. Number two, I can listen when black voices are speaking and I can learn from them. And it took me decades to finally listen and realize how culpable I was. Not because I hated somebody, not because I was hunting somebody down, but because I wasn't doing anything to help at all. And so I don't want you to wait. I do not want you to wait. So you can listen, just start listening to their voices and you will hear something needs to change. And number three, I can give them an opportunity to speak. So my goal was not to be a gatekeeper, but to be a wide open gate and just let them say whatever they wanted to say. And I encourage you to do that in every venue where you have the opportunity for influence. And so I'm going to thank you all one more time, and then uh, we're going to go to lunch, okay? So uh, let's thank our panelists, and then now you all are dismissed. God bless you. Have a beautiful day. Thank
0: you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.